In the context of today's global community, the word home can take on many meanings. Home is a subject that gets brought up often on the on the podcast, and it's always interesting to see how people define their homes, how individuals decide what to call home. You know, um, is Canada my home? I was born there. You know, I enjoy visiting when there's no pandemic. <laughs> um, you know, what about my kids' home? What about my children's home? They they hold two passports. Is is home where they were born, where they're currently living, where they celebrate holidays, where they feel comfortable, where uh, where some of their family is. Like you know, it's really hard. It's a very subjective definition. In today's interview with Jack Basu, it'll highlight how we are very adaptable, and a sense of home can be reached basically at any stage in life, anywhere in the world. And more importantly than nationality or citizenship or ethnicity, I think it's more important that we're connecting with people and not defining them by where they call home or where they were born. You know, a lot of times it's we get one story from a person. That one story, you know, I was born here or I was born there. And I think too often we define people by uh, the very limited story that that we know of them. We had a very good chat. Jack Basu is a very positive man with a very bright future. You know, the highlight for me was um, his answer to what he wants to do later in life, kind of one of his life goals or a, a big achievement, something that he wants to achieve, I guess, in his uh, in his life. And he, he had, it really threw me off. I, I didn't expect his answer, but it was really beautiful. So listen, <laughs> listen in and, uh, and check out what it is. And now I want to introduce the sponsor for this podcast. We are sponsored by Dr. English. Sign up for your next one-on-one English class today. Dr. English, the cure for the common language. You are now tuned into This Korean Life with your hosts, Brian and Nate. Okay, welcome back to another episode of This Korean Life, number 38 with Tony, Bexi, Jack Basu, Ming Kyung Bek. Welcome. <laughs> That's only one person. International, unique, uh, your military avoiding. No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, the future of Korea, man. A very, uh, very internationally minded man. Anyways, welcome. Um, why don't you give the audience a little background yeah, sure. about uh, your unique situation? Okay, well, first of all, thank you for inviting me over. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a pleasure to share my experiences. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, my name is um, Tony and my Korean name is Min Kyungbaek. My Ghanaian name is Jack Basu. <laughs> yeah. So, I, yeah, I literally have like three names. But my official name is Kyung Bikmin. That's my Korean name. Uh, so, yeah, I was... Um, does, does anyone know that in Ghana? You mean all these names? No, does anyone know Kyung Bikmin in Ghana? Y- yeah, some of yeah. My, some parents. my close friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my parents, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, uh, I was born in, in Korea in a small city called Chine. I don't know if you know about it. It's a small city of the southern part. I lived there until I was four. And I moved to Ghana. I lived there until I was uh, 19, 20. And I came back to Korea. And since then, I've been in Korea. 
An interesting move. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking earlier. Your, um, I, I had assumed you went to international school for uh-huh. the duration uh-huh. of your, um, for the duration of your educational career. Mm-hmm. Assuming that your parents were yeah. traditional Korean parents who want to mm-hmm. really protect their child yeah. and, and insulate them yeah. and, and have the yeah. maybe the best educational opportunities mm-hmm. available, but. Your dad. Hold, hold on. Uh, Traditional yeah. Korean parents don't move to Ghana. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's true. <laughs> yeah, but he also said his. He also said his. Yeah. You can take uh, your dad's still very Korean, and yeah, sure. you can take the man out of Korea, can't take the Korean out of the yeah, man, true. right? And you said your dad threw you a curveball in uh-huh. in grade two and uh-huh. and took uh-huh. you out of yeah. uh, international and threw you into <laughs> yeah. local Canadian school. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your transition into the school yeah. and how uh, yeah. how you sure. adjusted and mm-hmm. yeah so um when I first went to Ghana I really don't recall you know going to kindergarten or something but mm. I remember going to um, an international school until I was second grade mm. and uh, my dad moved me to a local school around my area where I lived. So um, yeah, that's uh, you said. My actually, my dad was a is a very conservative person, really traditional. But because he also he he actually worked at the military for quite a long time, also oh, no. worked for the government for a long time. So he's like very strict mm-hmm. and all. But he also has that um, jovial and also very open mind. So like he uh, he realized that you know. We're living in Ghana, so it's very important for me to experience the Ghanaian culture, you know, get used to the system, live with the system. So he actually uh, convinced my mom mm. to move me out of the international school and put me in the local school. And actually, yeah, it was a great thing. Do you, do you think the, the open-minded and, and jovial person, do you think that's a Korean open-mindedness and, and being jovial? Or do you think that's the effect Ghana had on him or... You said that he spent a lot of time in Las Palmas in Spain. Yeah, he moved around a lot. And and he traveled a lot. Do you think that was a Korean open-mindedness? or Because I think a lot of Koreans are very conservative. And then once Mm -hmm. they start doing these business trips, Mm -hmm. they start seeing what's out there and seeing how interesting the world is. Mm -hmm. And then they really adapt to that and become a lot more Mm open-minded. I think um, he is more, he is still traditional and conservative, but I think he's a risk taker. Yeah, he he likes to challenge himself or take new risks and stuff. Yeah, okay. I think that's the that's the main difference. So, would you say when you went there, mm-hmm. just going back, you mm-hmm. would have zero English? Yeah, I had zero English. I don't know anything. And you don't remember learning that once you got there? Honestly, I don't remember because I was so young. Yeah, yeah I think it was also a good thing for me because uh, you know, learning a new language when you're a kid, it's it's much easier than learning a new language when you're. When you're grown up. Sure. Uh-huh. Was so, it was so, was yeah. there like I, I think anybody who listens probably knows I spent some time there, but um, I don't remember there being that many or or at all international schools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were a few. There were like uh, two. <laughs> yeah, there were two international schools. Yeah. There one was called Lincoln, which is in Accra, and also another was called um, GIS. But now there are more. There now there. Sure. Now I yeah, can yeah, yeah, imagine. But back. Yeah, back then, it used to be mainly I'm, two. Yeah, and yeah. I'm guessing it, because there wasn't that many <clears throat> international people there. Mm-hmm. What was the sure. student population <clears throat> makeup? Like, we had about 10 students per grade. So. <laughs> not, yeah, yeah, I mean, so. yeah. they weren't all Koreans. What were the... No, they were not Koreans. Like, we're, the Kore- we're like only like five Koreans back then. In that Probably school, some so. Chinese Mostly back then from also. America. Yeah. Mostly, yeah. 
They're from different countries, actually. Yeah. Cool. And was that were you in Accra when you were schooling? Yeah. No, I was living in a city called Temat. It's like a thirty minutes to an hour drive so away from Accra. We used to move every day. There used to Nestle is very popular in the region between yeah. Ivory Coast and Ghana. Yeah. And a lot of the workers, like when, when in where I was, there was a uh-huh. lot of French uh, expats uh-huh. and Australian gold miners, uh-huh. uh, Canadian gold miners, uh-huh. and French expats there with Nestle. I don't recall any international schools from Western region all the way to Accra. Yeah, I don't think there there are any international schools in that area. Just okay. I think they're all uh, focused in Accra. So when you <laughs> talk about your um, your transition into <laughs> into the local schools, <laughs> what had you until then had you been exposed to Ghanaian culture or did you have Ghanaian friends or was it you know was it all very international school go home international Mm -hmm. school because at a young age you don't get out and you're not really socializing sure with your own group of friends and you might have been in a I don't know your living condition like a lot of these places you're in kind of a not a gated community but if you're there as an expat making a lot of money or making mm-hmm. decent money, you live in a certain neighborhood where you're probably not as exposed to True. the general mm-hmm. Ghanaian population True. as you would True. regularly. So did you have Ghanaian friends before going to school, or was it just like a baptism of fire, just toss you right in there? Well, you know, um, even when I was going to an international school, you know, like the education system in Ghana is a lot different from the education system in, in Korea, right? So, really? like we, yeah, it, it's a lot different. So, I mean, like, I mean, like, so we close school at three, and from then it's your freedom. You know, we don't have to go to have ones. We don't have to go to like any. That's most of the Yeah, You you know that's the whole world. Yeah, but, yeah. I'm just comparing it to Korea. So. um yeah, so after after when I come home, I used to play like soccer, hide and seek with the kids around the area. Mm-hmm. So I already had some a lot of Ghanaian friends actually. So when I moved to a local school in my second grade, I think everything went smooth. And I think I was more of an open person. I really didn't get that much stress or really So you have no recollection of learning English or making new friends or having hard times when you move to Ghana? Yeah, not at all. I mean, it, awesome. all, it, all it all starts with the body language. And mm. I think basically because I was so young, yeah. like I think I was able to... Well, that's to, what they say. To, they, yeah. I mean, the young kids are adaptable. And that's, mm-hmm. Very if you're quickly. doing something, that's a yeah. good time to do Very it. Quickly, yeah. I don't, I don't remember learning French at all. Mm-hmm. And I went to French kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't remember until I got to high school mm-hmm. doing the verb conjugations, how much I hated it. <laughs> And then after speaking and, and working in West Africa in yeah. French, I thought, mm-hmm. why did I learn all those verb conjugations? You don't even need yeah. them. You just need to communicate. Why do they focus on all the grammar? And then that this is the frustration the Korean kids have learning <laughs> English grammar. In Korea. And I was like, this is bonkers because uh-huh. in, in kindergarten, you just, you're in French immersion. Uh-huh. You just figure yeah. it out. I don't, I don't know what happens. Yeah. I don't remember. Exactly. But you slowly start making connections, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, playing with your buddies... Uh-huh. Outside of school, yeah. this was your hot one. Yeah, that was that my was your good one. I just true. needed Big Star, yeah, Kenke, Fufu. <laughs> that was it. Just yeah. a couple staples in your game. Well, what kind of unique things would you be learning in a in a Ghanaian school? Was it is it very different? From well, um, I, is there any surprising things that? Yeah, yeah, you learn a lot of stuff. Actually, first of all, you need to How you, to dance you get, with the caskets. I would I, actually. I would. I would. <laughs> <laughs> I would share a story about that, but. Before I get there, you know, first of all, you learn the language. So there is a subject called Ghanaian language. And, you know, like, there are also, like, 
different languages in Ghana. I was going to say, that's because yeah. there's 40 languages. <laughs> yeah, you know, in Korea, we all use the same language, though we have different accents and pronunciations, I guess. But in Ghana, like, they have distinct languages. Like, it's totally different. So they usually pick the language that the region uh, speaks. Is so, there a standard Ghanaian language? Yeah, it call, it's tree. tree. It's called Asante Nas- tree. Yeah. National language. Yeah, even the tree has different types. We have Asante tree, we have Ghana <clears throat> tree. Yeah. But I think I said when Rene or someone was here, like, uh-huh. I learned in Zima. Okay. In the wow. Western region. That's, <laughs> and when we went to Accra, uh-huh. and I say I would say something, and they look at me like, the yeah, hell well. is that? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? I said, I can speak with the people in my village, no problem. And they're like, mm-hmm. you can't use that language outside of the village. Yeah. Nobody knows it. And I was like, then why aren't they teaching me the national thing? <laughs> like, why don't people? Uh, yeah. So <clears throat> they know when they leave Mugadong to mm-hmm. start speaking Oktongmal. Mm-hmm. And they know when they leave... Uh, Namgu to mm-hmm. speak Pukumal, mm-hmm. and they know when they leave Ulsan to speak the national language. Yeah. So that's why, I, like, when they said educated and not educated and this and that, and you know, Africa is regarded mm-hmm. as the third. God, in the Western region, they spoke French, English, mm-hmm. in Zima, Chui, and like probably one or two other languages. Yeah. Holy shit, man. Who says these guys aren't educated? Yeah. It Actually, was... like, if you pick a typical Ghanaian, he speaks more than three languages. Yeah, sure. But, yeah. but what's his TOEFL score? That's a different story. No, <laughs> uh, but I mean, yeah. but, in, but uh, that's, that's the thing. And mm-hmm. Remember Jacques? Jacques Cousteau? Uh, Jacques Cousteau there, yeah. <laughs> one, of, one of the kids that used to work at, uh, okay. or used to study at... Uh, at the college mm-hmm. he was I, I worked with him in the bar one night and he he was speaking four language four languages fluently yeah at the same time like four different guys <laughs> yeah. conversation oh, really? he, he, he okay. just happened to have someone from uh-huh. he Turkey was, and I don't know. Turkey like uh-huh. or his uh, where was he from he was one of the stand countries uh, Uzbek yeah mm-hmm. he, he was speaking Uzbek mm-hmm. Russian mm-hmm. English fluent korean mm-hmm. and then even a little bit of spanish and it's like whoa look at this you know i'd rather have a a, a good mix of uh-huh. two or three than uh-huh. really focus on uh-huh. one uh-huh. well and we, we were just saying the other day that i was talking with somebody is that two languages is normal now yeah like that's not even if you're one language you're you're yeah. suffering like yeah. you're you're not up to standard because mm-hmm. most developed nations have it because they need it yeah they need it to survive. If it's selling to tourists, if it's like, I remember going to Burma or Myanmar mm-hmm. and shit, those kids, I mean, it was just the basics, but they could speak five, six languages mm-hmm. to sell you the goods. Mm-hmm. And they knew that the 300 words of each language that they needed to sell you the goods. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, you couldn't try to teach a kid at home this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got to be structured. It's got to be yeah. formal. It's got to be these kids, man. They just, Hey, you got to survive. You got to make money, learn how to speak. <laughs> Chui, because there's Ghanaians coming. Yeah. They'll learn it yeah. tomorrow. That's true. That's wild. Mm-hmm. And it's back to the school, uh, yeah. school stories. Yeah, so, um, yeah, there are, actually, I have, like, two subjects in mind, which, like, Stand out. yeah, very, like, memorable. There is a subject called uh, social studies. So you, you learn about the Ghanaian history, the African history, and everything. And so, actually, I... Even up to now, I think I know more Ghanaian history than the Korean history. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, so you learn how you know Ghana gained independence and all those all those stories, the yeah. big six, so all those people who fought for independence, how it developed, and so that's social studies. And you also learn about different religions. You know, actually in Ghana, uh, we have Christians, we also have Muslims. So for that, oh, actually that was another one. Okay, but just let's and yeah, yeah. And the second one is. Um, 
what was the second one? Yeah, so it's basically Ghanaian language and social studies. Those two were really memorable. And for, think, yeah. for social studies, I remember last time when we had that dinner, when remember we had like 100 days of no corona. Uh-huh, we uh-huh, went with uh-huh. all the Ghanaian yeah, guys yeah, and yeah. We, we met for dinner. Um, there seemed to be some discrepancies of the history of Ghana. <laughs> yes. Do you, <laughs> do you think the... Um, is it a na- maybe better question is it a national curriculum or mm-hmm. is each do you know of each uh each region just is tell us who own? was right renee or jess <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know i just followed I the textbook <laughs> <laughs> but that's what i'm wondering yeah. if it's uh if it's a if it changes no but if it's a national curriculum or if it's kind of a regional, regional. Mm-hmm. it's a regional one because there was i mean the ashantis they, teach this and and uh but i i still think there is a national curriculum yeah uh, yeah right. maybe from there they can divide themselves into mm. talking about what is true and what there is false. There were some good points of contention there on both uh, uh-huh. on both sides. Yeah. We were, I, I really, uh, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. Yes. So yeah, that was a, that that was uh, I really had good memories going to a local school. Yes. Did you experience any, or do you recall experiencing any forms of discrimination, racism, anything like that? You know, like um, I think we had this conversation uh, conversation earlier on, but actually, like I don't really know whether racism or discrimination was present back at that time like everything was so pure right of course if you if you if you if you come across something that you're not used to like you would definitely talk about it point it out yeah, yeah. point it out and also talk about it maybe, yeah. maybe you can make fun of it but i don't think it's they did that in a in a in a there is no way. harm intended. yes there is no harm intended. it's pure and innocent sure yeah. pure innocence well, like yeah. when nate says they go in like hey white man yeah yeah or if you're yeah. if you're bigger yeah hey, you're i mean i talked man. about this but anytime i go to the local market in my area i became the superstar in that area they give me so much fans and actually when i was a kid <laughs> when i was a kid i really didn't used to like that but you know Later, as I grew up, I realized that it's when you come back to yeah. Korea and realize you're nobody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like when, when, we go to, when we go to Canada, and nobody uh-huh. looks at you or points at you. Yeah. you. You feel it feels really yeah. weird, man. Yeah, that yeah. you just fit in. Yeah, that's true. Because people are commenting on my mm-hmm. beard or my belly mm-hmm. or my shoe size yeah. all yeah. day long. Like so, at some point in time, I, I actually enjoyed going to those local markets. They give me fans, and I also tell them some three <laughs> words, and they go crazy. They're like. You know, they go crazy. <laughs> yeah. so Not knowing that you've been there for 10 years yeah. already. Yeah, I had so much fun. That's actually. why I said I'd like to take a trip with your dad up to yeah. to the northern region yeah. or western region and see yeah. my dad Korean is, guy my, running the show. And my dad Chief. is even crazier. Like, he <laughs> he can go to the local market and just wearing a singlet. You know, he's yeah. so free, like, yeah. in Ghana. Like, That's what they do, yeah. right? A singlet? I mean, I like, only, I only know that from Yeah, undershirt, yeah. Learning. Yeah, learning. They have a different. Yeah. What's the other word in Korean? I forget. Um, Anyways, yeah. Fight to see. No, that's what I found there was that any any form th- there wasn't a form of like it was more a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, white man was mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And and I just think of my experiences back home where you could mm-hmm. never any time you call someone by their religion, their skin color, mm-hmm. their their nationality, mm-hmm. it has a negative connotation, kind mm-hmm. of. Um, I, I don't mean yeah the Italians for mm-hmm. soccer, but so many times it has a negative, or or many times it has a hurtful connotation to it. But mm-hmm. there it's they don't care where you're from. They're just you're the Obruni, yeah. You're the white yeah. man. You're the the fat guy. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I said for that one, if you are big, that means you have food and you've succeeded. <laughs> yeah. You've made it. Yeah. And they think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Where at home they're like, 
you're fat and lazy. Mm-hmm. Get off your ass. <laughs> Obruni loosely translated Wegugin? Yeah. Okay, okay. Not Obruni. Is it or white man? It's, it's, uh... It's white man. I don't know if they uh, told me that because I was white, but they tell you, oh, it means Korean yeah, man to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what does Obroni mean? Actually, Korean man. Actually, I don't really know what Obroni means, but yeah. Now when Maybe two Obronis can, can yeah. talk, we can figure because, out that. Yeah. <laughs> it meant white man to me and Korean man to you. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, you know, the people there are really friendly. They're really open-minded. I don't know. But they're they're really friendly, and they're, they will come to you, ask you questions. Just so yeah. welcoming. Yeah. Very welcoming. I, I always remember they, they would do anything for you. And in a lot of ways, I found the Kore- a lot of Koreans like that, too. Mm-hmm. I remember being lost one time on a subway in Seoul or something and asking someone, do you know where this place is? Mm-hmm. And they said, the guy would say, uh, oh, it's just two more stops. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll just bring you there. Mm-hmm. I go, huh? <laughs> but you said you're getting off here. Yeah. Ah, don't worry, don't worry. I'll, just, I'll bring you and show you the place. Uh-huh. And in Ghana, I felt like that was every day people would go way out of their way to yeah. make you... And, and not because they thought you were going to buy them bread yeah, or an ice yeah. cream or something. Because they wanted you to yeah. think Ghana was the best country in the mm-hmm, world. Mm-hmm. So they were going to be the best hosts in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what I felt like when I lived there. Sure. That they were always the yeah. best hosts yeah. you could ask for. Actually, you know, like anytime I meet a Korean friend, they ask me, how did I survive in, in Africa? Like a country in Africa, like isn't it scary? Like isn't it dangerous? And I always tell them, like, that's the... It's 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 really safe out there. You know, there are no CCTVs in Ghana. There are no like I mean but it's really safe out there. Really what safe. language did you speak at home? Did you speak Korean? Yeah, life? I speak Korean. My actually my mom can't only speak Korean. She's not fluent in English, she's not fluent in Chi or she's not fluent wow. in any yeah, she's she speaks only Korean. I don't know how she survives. But she has that uh, <laughs> the same way me and Nate do. <laughs> yeah. She has that broken English. Yeah. Yeah, okay. You go come. Yeah. Those kind of like but yeah. Uh, spending your youth in Ghana growing mm-hmm. up, if you had been in Korea, mm-hmm. you would likely be looking up to Park Ji Sung. What about growing up in Ghana? Did you um, was there like kind of Western media influence and you had heroes from America or were you in tune with Korea or was there some uh, some local mm-hmm. local talent that you kind yeah. of looked up to? I mean, I remember, uh, you know, like Ghana, like all the people in Ghana are huge fans of soccer, right? So I also used to watch a lot of, play a lot of soccer and also watch a lot of soccer matches. So, no, I don't know. I, as you said, if like a, a normal Korean kid would um, take Park Ji Sung as his idol. I would take like global players like Ronaldinho. Oh, okay. You know, yeah, we used to. No Ghanaians. Yeah, actually, there was a Ghanaian. Uh, I was Michael Michael Asian. Michael Asian. Yeah, yeah. But that must be even a little bit late for you, no? Yeah, sure. That, must I have been like Charles Taylor. Right. Charles Taylor. Yeah. Charles Taylor. Charles yeah. Taylor. And they they also mm-hmm. had a player called Abedi Pele. Yeah. Uh, he was also a good player, and we also have uh, Sule Muntari. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Freddie Adu was probably mm-hmm. a little bit later again, but mm-hmm. Freddie Adu, after, before he got his green card, was mm-hmm. the next Pele. Mm-hmm. I mean, they turned out to be mm-hmm. nothing, but he signed a pro contract mm-hmm. in the States at 14 mm-hmm. after they won the green card lottery. Not, now there's all kinds of stars, but mm-hmm. yeah, Essien was probably the first super, superstar there. Mm-hmm. While I was growing up in Ghana, I think I really didn't have that much um, opportunity to know about what's happening, what's happening in Korea. Because when I, I grew up with Cartoon Network or DSTV, those kind of uh, programs. So I was basically the same. You had the Cartoon Network? Yeah, we had the Cartoon Network. Like yeah. that would have been 97, 98, 99? Yeah. In Ghana? That's... Yeah. No, no. Like, of course, we had to, 
you have to like um, uh, satellite? yeah you have to install satellite? a very yeah. huge satellite I was gonna say because yeah. man the TV was few and far between <laughs> never mind cartoon yeah, channel yeah, yeah. holy man so now that you've moved back here and mm-hmm. have assimilated into Korean culture you got mm-hmm. some Korean friends and whatnot mm-hmm. is there any things that you feel you missed growing up is there any things you look back and like oh I wish I would have had hogwans uh, no not hogwans <laughs> I mean in terms of TV or culture oh, or, trust me you know like I, I you know I always thank my parents for giving me such an opportunity, you know, mm. to experience such you know cultural richness mm. and all those good education system. I feel like I haven't missed out anything. Actually, I I feel like I I got more than a normal you know absolutely kid. Yeah. And um, that's a great yeah, it's a great mindset to have mm-hmm. an approach to take yes. to to anything, man. Yes. That you can. You know, yes. although it's not the status mm-hmm. quo or the standard mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. there's there's lots of um, benefit to. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, yeah. back in my time, because we didn't have that much uh, good uh, electronics like computers or fast internet. Yeah, that's we, why you we, got yeah. to play outside. With exactly, your friends, yeah. we we move outside, play so soccer. I was, was going to say, you said your dad's an international businessman. Mm-hmm. What do you think the difference would be if you were to have been brought up in America or maybe a, a Western or yeah, Western European country mm-hmm. where that stuff was prominent. What do you think the difference or the benefits of being raised in Ghana were? I think I would have lost so many stuff. Like I would I don't think I would have such an open mind. After experiencing different cultures, especially uh be it an African culture, Asian culture, you know, it, it gives you a mind of how the world is, how big the world is and how much you can become anything pretty mm. much become anything not enclosed to you know a specific culture or specific way of living mm. which so. which is how korea mm-hmm. was for a long time now sure. it's just starting to open up sure, those sure. ways would you raise your kids if you had a choice to raise them in korea or ghana where would you raise your kids definitely i would send them to ghana <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would say the same. Yeah, it's 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 a price. It's more laid back. It's more real connection to life and yeah. living. And I, I thought when I asked you the America, Ghana, one of that, uh-huh. man, I, I, I don't yeah. sounds stupid, but I just think of spoiled brats, man, and I just uh-huh. you appreciate so much more yeah. coming from there, mm-hmm. and especially I guess once you came back here and you went, mm-hmm. wow, you should probably think mm-hmm. I was so lucky to be there yeah. in that situation sure. because. It's very, very rare that people get mm-hmm. that opportunity. Living here too, we can still step back and appreciate what we have. It just takes a little more mindfulness, no? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That you know, it's raining today. But oh, not, you know but what? not just not just what we have. I mean, like the human connection. Mm-hmm. That like, and and it's like we said before on here, the developed world is much more connected because they have to be. Mm-hmm. They don't have all the distractions, all the electronics, all the shit to distract mm-hmm. them. But but particularly in that area or that region. Mm-hmm. I just think to have that connection mm-hmm. and like it's it's hot all the time. So you live outside. Mm-hmm. There's no inside. The houses you said the, even you said the houses are big, but uh-huh. but no one's ever inside. It's too hot. Yeah. At least I don't know. You're in the rich parts. I was in the poor yeah. part. Yeah. I was in the ninety percent of Ghana parts uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sure. where there's no aircon. Yeah. You don't spend any time inside because yeah. it's too uh-huh. bloody hot. Mm-hmm. So people are outside and they're friendly and they're mm-hmm. it, it just it's a really good atmosphere, a really good experience. Mm-hmm. Which yes, we can reflect on what we have, but. We still don't appreciate you know, man. Go yes. to Philippines and you're like, holy yeah. shit. I think I appreciate what I have. I think I reflect. But but this is a good reminder that it's way more than I think. Mm-hmm. Even what I appreciate, it's way mm-hmm. more than that. Mm-hmm. So that that's what I think. Like, you, you have that opportunity. Until you go somewhere else, you can't understand how really mm-hmm. valuable or important it was. Mm-hmm. And actually, I moved. Um, so for high school, 
I moved to I moved back to an international school, mm. but that international school was quite special. Mm. It's um, the the name of my high school is SOS. Yeah. It, it's SOS <laughs> <laughs> SOS Herman Minor International School, mm. but that SOS is not is not Save Our Souls. It mm. has a long different name, but it's like um, I don't know if you ever heard of the SOS Association. Like it helps you know raise kids, especially. Um, Orphanage kids. Okay, okay. Yeah. But then it was a specialized high school. So, like, it had students from different parts of the world, actually, mm. but mostly from different parts, different countries in Africa. So, mm. I remember I had a lot of, like, friends, seniors, juniors from different parts of Africa. So, like, I had I had uh, friends from Zambia, Zimbabwe, uh, Egypt, uh, South Africa, Kenya, uh, Sierra Leone, moving to the Eastern. So, like, we it was a community of... So much cultural richness. No, so, no so now moving into a more diverse high school, like I got to know even more than the Ghanaian system, yeah. more expanding yeah. my network. So actually, it's, it's it's a priceless asset, right, to have that network. Yeah, yeah. Which is what that. I think of the Korean kids who go to international school yes. here. Yes. That they meet kids that are from like Bips and Busan countries, there. Yeah. They meet so many different, and and now they say my friends are mm-hmm. Muslim, mm-hmm. my friends are mm-hmm. Christian, my mm-hmm. friends are. Uh, Saudi Arabian my mm-hmm. friends are yeah. like like what for I think for Korean kids like what an experience that yeah. you can say my best friend is from Saudi Arabia huh yeah that's Holy weird sh- that's <laughs> awesome or, or or Africa or Europe or but what a what an experience mm-hmm. I remember speaking about like multiculturalism mm-hmm. in school growing up uh, I think it was probably my 8th grade our teacher decided to have mm-hmm. culture day okay and and everyone had to bring something from their culture. And when we showed up, it was like, this guy brought lasagna. This guy brought penne. This guy brought spaghetti. This guy brought meatballs. And it was just like, a, it was an Italian buffet. <laughs> just to show the, the monoculture we grew up in, man. It was pretty funny. Anyways. So so getting into international school, was that, what was that based on? Like, could, could your dad buy you in there if he wanted to? No, it was uh, actually it was uh, because it was a specialized school and it was actually a very um, uh, good school. So like we had to take an entrance exam. So when you pass the exam, that's when you can get in. Oh, nice. Yeah. But hold I mean, on. Merit, this merit is Ghana. Yeah. I, I mean, I like that. <laughs> okay. But, I get where you're But going. the dash okay. in Ghana is okay. pretty powerful. Yeah. yeah okay. And every police officer asked for it. Everybody mm-hmm. in Ghana asked mm-hmm. for it. I don't As far as I know, it's still going on because the guys I talked to okay. tell me about it. So okay. the dash okay. is the money. The bride, the, uh, uh-huh. the dash, you need a dash, 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 yeah. right? Yeah. They call it the dash. But trust me, my my the 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 entrance process. May, maybe it's different in that region, okay. but I, I don't think anything was clean there ever, mm-hmm. because I saw it all day, every day, every place we went. Guys would drop envelopes of money off in the UN offices, <laughs> every, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. It was it's... it was just everywhere you went, you needed an envelope, mm-hmm. or something didn't get done because it's mm-hmm. Ghana time, and if you didn't give an envelope, it'd take two years, and if you did, it would take two days. And that was it. So yeah. the envelopes flowed. Mm-hmm. But I think it was pretty much clean because I remember because it was a night. <laughs> I will stick to my cleanest. I, I just wonder when you went to the market. When we went to the five day market, I mean, I probably wouldn't even know. Yeah. I, you, if I thought you were a young kid, uh-huh. you would think every day we went to the market, like once a week, the five day market, uh-huh. Reverend, uh-huh. that the police are always there uh-huh. checking for safety. Uh-huh. But every time they take your license and in your license, you've already put the 10,000 yeah. CD note. And they walk behind the car, they take it out, they bring it back. Okay, mm-hmm. everything's good. 
Go to the market. Yeah. Dad, the police are always checking for our safety. That's yeah. so nice. Yeah. It's, it's and I like think, a, yeah, of course you would think that's yeah. clean, but every, uh, yeah. the police only come out uh, once a week and it's on market day mm-hmm. because every car in the village is going to the market mm-hmm. oh. and every one of them gives. Mm-hmm. And I think as a five, six, 10, 11 year old boy, you think, oh, the police are just doing their job. No. But you, I, would, yeah. you couldn't connect the dots <laughs> of what it, what was actually going on there. And I was yeah. like, because the taxi driver says, hey, Madingo, mm-hmm. give me the, give me yeah. the dash. And I'm like, why do I gotta pay it, man? And you're all Bruni, so you gotta give extra because they're gonna say you got no Bruni. Hey, this isn't enough. And I mean, did yeah. you ever have what happened if you didn't give the dash? No, actually, like, um, yeah, but but at least for the high school entrance because I, I'm <laughs> okay. quite I'm quite you know I'm quite yeah. confident because I had a lot of friends also who wanted to go to that school but they couldn't because the entrance exam was right. quite competitive. Yeah. So at least it, it gave me an idea that oh this is true, <laughs> truly clean. But yeah, what just Nate told me like the system there are some parts which uh, you can't neglect. I mean I went to Ghana like four to five years ago and I remember I think my I was with Umar yeah. in the car. Oh, okay, yeah, I, we went to Ghana at the same yeah. time, and so my driver was driving, and I was at the at the at the at the, at the right side of the driver, and Umar was at the back. Uh, was at the back. I think my driver uh, drove across the red line or so, the red light or something. So the police stopped us, and and the police saw our faces, and it's like, okay, let me see whether this still works. So. You know, what they ask for is for your driver's license. So I told my driver that, wait, give me your driver's license. Hold on, you say my driver. Like, it's like your family driver? Uh, yes, some, something of that sort. Not a taxi or something? No, no, not a, a taxi. Private, yeah, uh, private, 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 yeah, okay, privately yeah. employed driver. So yeah. give me your driver's license. And I put in, like, 10 CDs. That's like, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 yeah. bucks, 5 bucks. Yeah. So, and I said, give it to the police, police. So, okay, actually, this is what happened. So my, 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 the driver got down and he was arguing with the police officer that he should, he should let him go. And the police officer was like, no way, no way. So I said, so I remember uh, the, the name of the, the, the driver was Hassan. So Mr. Hassan, please come here. It's okay. He came in and I put him a five bucks and the driver's like, go and give this to the police officer. So he gave that to the police officer and said, you're free to go. So I said, ah, this system still works. Okay. okay. But we were talking about at breakfast <laughs> about driving in cars that have missing floorboards okay yeah and that you can see the road yeah. under your feet and uh-huh. you've got to keep your feet straddled on the frame of the car so you didn't yeah. it's like the lose stones. your foot uh-huh. so we could be driving to the market in one of these things mm-hmm. with holes or missing parts of the floorboards uh-huh. and uh the guy would come and if you didn't have once or twice the guy just forgot mm-hmm. he got pulled over or some random cop needed money or milk, so he mm-hmm. pulled him over, you know, the day before, and he forgot to put his next dash ready. Uh-huh. Because they always, you put, next thing you do, as soon as you get your back, put the next one in so you don't, yeah. if you get caught without it, you're screwed. Yeah. And we got stopped one time, mm-hmm. and the guy says, okay, <laughs> gets it back, and it's like, what? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. $10, we used to give like maybe 10 cent uh-huh. bribes, uh-huh. which is equivalent to a lot of money. Uh-huh. And now it was 10 bucks. And it says, no fire extinguisher, no left taillight. And I was like, fire extinguisher? Are you kidding me? This car is about to fall apart. But there's a law for fire extinguishers in the car. It's a law. Yeah. And I was like, dude. he says, put a little more. I don't have a fire extinguisher. And I was like, dude, you don't need one. Just write your car off. But yeah. I remember the guy saying, the police isn't worried about no floorboards. Yeah. But you got part of your fine was for not having a fire extinguisher. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, that system may be still there, but at least for my for my high school yeah. entrance, everything was clean. Yeah, so far as I know. And were you on an IBT program in that school? or 
so, yeah, so it's a it's a specialized high school. Pro- we actually it's a four year program. Mm-hmm. You know, it's typically three, but our high school was four, and we spend the first two years doing. Time. Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we we spend the first two years doing um, uh, a uh, a program called IGCSE. It's like an, it's equivalent to O level program high school program i think it was from the uk mm-hmm. and we and the, for the next two years we do the ib program ib yeah, international yeah. baccalaureate which is baccalaureate yeah. yeah so 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 it's it's four year it's a four-year program that we do at the high school and cool yeah what well actually you, yeah what did you think of the ib program it's it, it was crazy i mean it was it's basically like uh college, college stuff, right? yeah. you have to it's write like an extended college, essay yeah. and actually yeah it was crazy I, it's it was so much work did did you feel that you were prepared for that going into high school coming out of the the public school system coming in coming out of public school did you mm-hmm. feel you were well prepared for that workload or that type of vigorous studying yeah, yeah, going into the special school yeah it's uh, i mean they they start from scratch actually so actually i think the reason why they do the two years um o level program is mm-hmm. just to Prepare yeah, you're you for prepared the for the yeah. IB program, yeah, because because some kids must come out of private schools, right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, or international mm-hmm. elementary schools mm-hmm. where they'd be more probably mm-hmm. familiar with that type mm-hmm. of of workload, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's a. I, I still believe that's true. That until high school, I think your educational career doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. What what you're learning, like kids here in grade three going yeah, to exactly. Hagua until yeah. to learn math yeah. until. Until midnight is, is insane. <laughs> that's insane, man. Yeah. And you should be, uh, until high school, that's when you got to kind of mm-hmm. switch gears and, mm-hmm. and decide to start learning and, mm-hmm. and mastering your things. So. What, also, what, yeah. what kind of places did the people you went to school with, where did they end up going? You ended up in Unist. Where did, yeah, I ended up in Where did your classmates like, end up? Actually, like, uh, you saw, for my high school, a batch usually has about maybe... Um, 80 to 90 students oh, oh, <laughs> a cohort yeah 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 so 80 to 90 i I'll, I'll get back to this but yeah so it's around 80 to 90 students and actually about i would say more than half i think i think 50 of them usually goes to colleges at the u.s so okay. and i would say prestigious universities in the harvard yale oh yeah that's why uh, our high school was quite famous it was also well known for those kind of excellence academic excellence and the, f- the school is a boarding school and it's like it's very similar to to the military system so it's like a, there are different ranks right it starts from freshman sophomore junior and senior so when you're when you're first into the school when you're a freshman you basically have to work every time you have to clean your room you have to clean the the, the hostels you have to clean the guard you have to i don't know do all the garden work around. You need to plant trees. You need to mow the lawns. And you also need to wash your seniors, you know, uniforms. You need to iron them. So, like, I actually lost about 13 kilograms when I went to freshman. Yeah. But then I... I, I, <laughs> I gained back. Yeah, yeah, a lot. Uh, washing it. So, that actually, that was the first time I learned how to wash a uniform. How to iron, you know, mm-hmm. white shirts. Mm-hmm. I remember I, I, I ironed a senior shirt and it was white. And I actually, like... Burned it. And oh, he, shit. He, <laughs> turn that iron yeah. down. But anyways, it was it was it was a very good experience. experience and, yeah. and when you get to sophomore year, things become much easier, right? Because you have freshman year students. But still, you need to you need to work. So anytime there's a huge event at the school, we gather all the freshman year students. They clean the place. We arrange the chairs. Everything like yeah, yeah everything is done by the students. And when you get to junior year, you start supervising them. So you basically 
don't do anything but supervise. That's when 13 yeah. kilos comes right back. Yes, that's when, that's when it comes back. That's when it comes back, yeah. And when you get to your senior year, you're basically the boss of the school. Like, yeah. You can do anything you want. And, yeah, eat, eating snacks, yeah, like and it, yeah, and <laughs> we used to wake up. I mean, when you're in your freshman year, the the wake up bell rings at five thirty a.m. So everyone has to be awake at five thirty. But when you're in freshman year, you you sometimes you have to wake up at four mm. or four thirty a.m. to go and fetch warm water for your seniors. <laughs> yeah, it does happen. Yeah. So you can imagine how your life is when you're you're a senior, right? Yeah. You wake up, everything is prepared. Your iron uniform, your warm water, ready everything. for real life. Yes, exactly. <laughs> ready for real life. Yeah. Yeah. But that, awesome. but yeah, it's I know uh I know a lot of things have changed now. Yeah, but, but at least my time. But I think yeah. going through some of that it's, some yeah. of that style stuff like i think yeah. for a lot of the korean boys yeah going to the army is a freaking sure. shock to yeah. their system that exactly hey you don't just do what you want uh-huh. say what you want uh-huh. money please and uh-huh. what you follow rules yeah. and there's our system and i'm in mm-hmm. charge and mm-hmm. i think and, and i mean for for hockey teams for mm-hmm. me growing up mm-hmm. i think that i mean not it shouldn't be a, a abuse it, it but it I think there's a lot of value in doing that and learning you know even getting up at four four thirty five and mm-hmm. And having purpose and reason and mm-hmm. and structure, I think that's a good thing that people should go through. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, as I said, it's still it's really rem- memorable. It still remains as a fresh. nice yeah fresh memory in my mind. And also, you uh, might hate it when you're in there, but now you look exactly, reflect on yes, it and think yes, that was a good experience yes, for me to learn. Good. Yes, you say yes, washing clothes, uh-huh, ironing clothes, uh-huh. getting up early, being responsible, exactly, hard work, laying your beds, all those things you know? that don't exist. Yes. And usually we we have this um, special event. It's called the inspection day. So what happens is I seen that in Shawshank. <laughs> yeah, so what happens is that um, maybe a student's parent or someone from outside comes to inspect mm. your homes, and they literally bring a white handkerchief and they they check all the corners in your room to see if there's any dust. Oh, so you can imagine how much you need to do cleaning. Yeah. You actually need to clean like twice. You need to clean the day sneak. before, and you need to wake up early in that morning to clean again. To you got to sneak sure Korean they, mom in there early. Yeah. Eh? Get all that dust there. <laughs> so and you know the the high school we're we're mainly divided into four teams. So yeah. we have the Spartans, uh, Trojans, Vikings, Titans. So we're four teams, mm. and <laughs> we always compete with each other. So. If there is this inspection day, mm. after the inspection, they rank the, ah, the okay. rank from first to fourth. And, you know, it's always an issue, right? We but it's a great way, isn't it? Competitive yeah, sure. cleaning. Yes. <laughs> if they don't like cleaning, make it competitive. competitive. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like one interesting thing is that, you know, for the inspection moment, we all have to dress up with, with neckties and clean belts and clean shiny shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all those things they're they're, they're sounds they're, pretty military yes <laughs> very military and yeah they're all good memories right I, I think you do need some mm-hmm. some structure in that mm-hmm. in that part of your yeah, life and that can set you up yeah. well for you know i think that's laid a good uh, mm-hmm. a good path for you now into into Eunice. Mm-hmm. and because when I we when so... we called you yesterday at 10 30 you're still sleeping <laughs> <laughs> it was a weekend as i said the golden weekend <laughs> random saturday the golden weekend <laughs> Uh, I, I think at some point in in those middle school to high school years, mm-hmm. when you're you think you're hot shit, mm-hmm. you need someone to run your show. Mm-hmm. I, you need someone to put you in your place and knock you down and say True. you're not True. what you think you are. Yeah. And in my case, it was probably my dad. Mm-hmm. But I think like the army and stuff and joining you know 
sports teams and stuff, the older guys will put you in your place, and I think you really, really need that. And I think it's good. And you know, on 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 top of all that uh, discipline system, we also have a lot of like programs. Like um, actually, the facilities of the schools were really good. We had a lot of like um, different extracurricular activities, like mm. musical instruments. So we, I I was in the school band. Mm. We also had a school choir. We had this um, so many groups. I mean, I there's so many to list, but so how so did also those kind of cultural richness. You said fifty mm-hmm. percent or fifty people went to prestigious schools in the states. Mm-hmm. What happened to you? And what happened to me? Yeah. So <laughs> how, yeah. Did, how did you end up here? Yeah. So um, I was also, um, you know, preparing for a U.S. school, and uh, while I was preparing, I got also I also got into some of some some of the U.S. schools, but um, well, decided to come to Korea because. I don't know. I wanted to go to the U.S. school, but again, my dad wanted me to come to Korea, and also he really wanted me to go to the military. So it's quite ironical that I'm not going to. I'm not doing the military service, you know. You did it in high school. Yeah, I, exactly. I did it in high school, but he wasn't convinced enough. So, so yeah, I literally came to Korea. So, you know, the the education system in okay abroad is totally different from the education system in Korea. So I had to. There was a huge time gap. So I actually spent about a year. Doing nothing, so I actually spent a year in Korea, yeah. just you know becoming Korean. Yeah, beca- becoming Korean or getting used to the system. So I used to live, I lived in Seoul for that one year, and then I was well looking for good schools to apply, yeah. and uh, we found my actually my mom found Unist because every that one thing that really you know convinced me to come here was that they said every lesson was in English, so yeah. I wouldn't have to struggle that much you know trying to though i i was fluent in korean i wasn't that academic yeah exactly i didn't know the academic terms or so yes it was a good opportunity so i just applied to unis and i came to unis do you ever ask your father why he pushed you to come here being being a global businessman and living abroad Mm -hmm. why he wanted you to come back Uh, you you hadn't decided on unis right because i know a lot of the uh the other Ghanaian guys we talked to they said they came here because it's free tuition. tuition Uh When when you graduate, you're not a hundred thousand. And and even they could have gotten into the states, Uh but even on an eighty percent scholarship, Mm -hmm. it's still going to cost a fortune. Sure. For room and board and everything else, so that even if you could get, you know, half a ride there or or a full ride, your room and board and stuff, the cost is just astronomical. So it didn't make it feasible. Sure. But did you ever ask him why he pushed you to come here? Actually, I my dad was quite uh, strict on those kind of stuff, so like I really couldn't question him. Back then, you're going then, to Korea, but, but, Korea. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But um, but I was okay. I was okay with coming to Korean university yeah. because I actually wanted. To, I also wanted to come to Korea. You know, you know, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to come to Korea to see how Korea was as well. Because mm. yeah, so you, I think when you're living in Seoul too, or uh, down here, even mm-hmm. it's more, I, you can mm-hmm. probably say more Korean. You know, you yeah, you, I was. I it took me some time to get used to so many Koreans around because. You know, meeting a Korean in Ghana is very rare, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to... We're really close, so... And when I first came to Korea, there were so many Koreans everywhere. Look how many friends I have. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so do I, have hey, to man. Greet, do I have to greet all of them? You know, like... Uh, back, so I, 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 had, I got used to it, though. So. While in Ghana, how many, how many trips did you make to Korea? Was it Actually, Ghana? like, uh, I came to Korea quite frequently, about at least once every two years, three years. Actually, oh, so it wasn't yeah. it wasn't like 
uh, it wasn't very fresh. America. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, sure. <laughs> and actually, like, uh, yeah, I, I made a lot of trips. Mm. You know, oh, okay. I went to the U.S. So, like, there's so many. So, I wasn't really new to the system. Mm. But you know, like living there and just visiting there is a totally different sure. thing. Yeah. When I first came to Korea, right, I was I always used to go to Itaewon. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was, I, and you know, like I go to Itaewon and I search. I think he brought for, the Corona down from Itaewon. So, I don't know how you. <laughs> I search for the Ghanaian restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. So and I found some. It was it was it was quite interesting. So when I decided to come to Yunus, that was in 2013, right? And I first came to Ulsan. You know how you come, you first come to Ulsan, you go to the KTX station. Yeah. And you have to take a bus to the city. Yeah. And on your way, there's. Nothing. Literally nothing. There yeah. are only farms. I was like, oh my god! Like, where oh, did I, I come yeah. to? <laughs> like, yeah. But and you so, came to the city, and they tell you go back out to the KTX because that's where the school is. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I came to the city, and I took a taxi to Unist. And actually, I was, I was, I think I was convinced because I, I think Unist, it looked great. It's a, it's a great school, right? And nice also campus. the, yeah, the person that I met told me that there are actually like there are three Ghanaian students there, and I was like shocked. I was like. Because, so that's what yeah. I was wondering if you coming from your high school, if there was other Ghanaians that had come to here, and that's how you knew about it, or but you say you were living in Seoul. Who do you think was more shocked, the Ghanaians or you? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're equally shocked because they, I think they would also never imagine, like they would have also never imagined a Korean speaking chi or this pidgin he, language. He told me about you when he was working there. He's like, dude, I met this Korean guy. <laughs> speaks he, a local language. Yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. That sings the songs yeah. and. Yeah. But but it was the same for me. Yeah. Seeing Umar and Benjamin shivering in the hallways. <laughs> and they turn around and go, <laughs> like like they just landed yeah. on Mars or something. Yeah. They were doing we're that. Home. Yeah. Where am I? And and they couldn't believe when they turned around and seen me yes, either. So. Yes. What, actually, yeah. What part of Ghanaian culture do you think would benefit Korean society? <sighs> what 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 do you think? Like, uh, um, I, I look at my brother. Say he calls his buddies over and they're mm-hmm. doing. Uh, they're making sausage. You can mm-hmm. make the equivalent of um, of a Korean Kim Jong. When they're doing it, they're having beers, mm-hmm. the game's on, they're mm-hmm. listening to tunes. In Korea, it's very quiet. Everyone's sitting down, just exactly. painting the kimchi. It's kind of a sad, yeah. in, in my yeah. experience, anyways, yeah. it's, it's kind of a hard, uh-huh. uh, a very difficult thing. So I would import uh-huh. what part of Canadian society I'd bring to Kim Jong, I would... Sausage making. No, no, no. no. I, would, I would I would, up the, the Kim Jong and okay. add some tunes or some alcohol okay. or something like that to make yeah. it more enjoyable. Okay. What uh, what part of Ghanaian society okay. would you like to infuse in Korea? Uh, you know, uh, one thing I realized when I came to Korea is that all the people here are very competitive, right? Mm. They fight. They fight with each other to become better than each other, right? And actually in Ghana, they're free, they're literal. It's not that they're not competitive. Mm. They're really smart. They're good at whatever they are doing. But they're not that. They're not that into competition. Like you know how uh, Koreans, especially like students, a typical student would study his or whole life for during his elementary school, middle school, and high school. Mm. And as soon as they come to college, they start drinking. They start you know. And yeah. you know how Koreans get a lot of stress. They say, oh, I'm always stressed, so I need to go and drink some soju or something. Yeah. But actually, I don't think there was that much stress for uh, people in Ghana. Mm. Because they're really, they know how to enjoy when they need to. Mm. And they know how to, and they know how to get serious when they have to. I think that's a, mm-hmm. 
that's a, a skill or mm-hmm. uh, something that's missing in, in a lot sure. of the world, man. Sure. And I feel and with myself, yes. too. Yeah. And actually, uh, my dad was the person who also taught me those um, things. Because I remember, you know, I don't know if Nate, you know, but there's, there's something called choppers in Ghana. Yes. Yeah, choppers. And, chop, you, chopper? Chop, 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 like chop, <laughs> chop bars. Chop okay. bars, yeah. yeah. So it's like... Um, you know how restaurants in Korea, like, it's very bright. Everything is bright. So you literally see everything that you eat. But actually in Ghana, so most of Ghana these restaurants the are, meat. yeah. <laughs> they're usually like. <laughs> they're usually, Don't tell them that part. <laughs> okay, they're usually outdoors, right? Yeah. So, like, it's really dark. And yeah. they, you know, they paint the light bulbs and make them green and blue. So yeah. everything is so dark. Yeah. So you literally know what you're eating after tasting it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, so so we have that system. And for every chop birds, there's usually a dance floor. And they play really loud music or they have a live band playing music. So, like, people uh, who want to dance could go to the dance floor and dance. And I, I really used to hate that. You know, I hate... I, I was a shy person back then. So, mm. But my dad always pushed me to go to the dance floor and mm. dance. Do something. Mm. I really used to hate that. But then he always used to push me to do those stuff. Mm. And later... I realized that he was training me to become, you know, free. Oh, okay. Yeah, I realized that when I grew up. Yeah. The awesome. the old mm-hmm. the old uh, dance like nobody's watching, sing like nobody's listening. I, is it just the West that's like that? Like, I think that they're not so they're self conscious, but like you say, they're free. Like nobody gives a shit. You just, just everybody moves and dances, and like the Koreans can sing. All the Koreans can sing at the Nodepam. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they have a stage where they're bukurupta or shy uh-huh. or embarrassed, but uh-huh. when my family came for the wedding, I mean, we sound like <laughs> like cats getting run over by a car. So, like, it's terrible. We sound terrible. And then every Korean goes on from 70 to, to 7, uh-huh. and they sound like freaking regular pop singers. Uh-huh. But in Ghana, like, not just Ghana, in West Africa, uh-huh. I don't know about the East, uh-huh. but everybody moves, uh-huh. moving and shaking. Yeah, and, it's... And it's just part of life. Mm-hmm. Like, you just dance. Mm-hmm. And I just think, it, like, even the funerals. Mm-hmm. Like, there's people sobbing and crying, but it's also a party. They're dancing, yeah. there's alcohol, there's music, yeah. and it's a party. You have the coffin it's dance. It's sad, but it's a happy party. <laughs> but you just move everywhere. Uh-huh. Well, I, I don't know if I said it on the other one, but mm-hmm. at the one wedding, like, we went to church. Have you been to weddings there? Yeah, of course. And you've got to go up and give your offering uh-huh. and so when it's a wedding when they put the basket at the front of the church do you yeah. know this yeah what you, happens you have to dance you, f- you form a congo line and you've got to dance all the way up and here's me and my dad and everyone's waiting to see if we're going to put in like five thousand dollars or something from america and we're like what it's a lose-lose right if you put in this much they think you're cheap or it's mm-hmm. not enough or they're looking for dollars you put in cds mm-hmm. But you gotta shake your ass, and the line moves at a turtle's pace. And then we we sat back down, and you had to go again. Like, Holy shit! That's the most my dad's danced in his whole life. That's was funny. the Congo line up to the front of the church for the offering for the uh, wedding party, yeah. and you had to make two rounds. Mm-hmm. And I mean, some of those ladies can move it, dude. Like, mm-hmm. and and nobody's shy. Nobody cares. Uh-huh. Everybody dances like nobody's watching. And like I, I agree, it's it's free. Mm-hmm. It's like they're free. Mm-hmm. I so mean, I think yeah. the, it's just the West yeah. where we're like, everyone's judging me. Everyone's looking at me. Mm-hmm. I got to impress everybody. Yes, yes, exactly. And there it's like, we don't give a shit. Yeah, exactly. And in, in India, wearing the saris, I asked the girls at school, like the Nepalese, when they wear them, like, is there a self-conscious part of young women wearing 
saris that show their midriff. Like mm-hmm. when you're 14 to 20, 25, there must be a huge part of you that's self-conscious. No. Mm-hmm. Or is that just the West? Because man, in India, there's some big ladies and they just show it, man. And they love mm-hmm. it and they mm-hmm. flaunt it. And nobody's like, oh, I don't know if I should show that. Mm-hmm. You just put it on and give her, man. And mm-hmm. I, I wish that... <laughs> because they see everyone else doing it. So it's not a thing looked down upon. But do you... Like, I think in our cultures, we compare ourselves to everyone else. Exactly. Oh. Uh, or, I mean, you end up oh, comparing beautiful, yourself. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I can't show this. Mm-hmm. I better wear a different sari. Mm-hmm. That way, I think Indians are at least used to be more acceptable of themselves. So like, Maybe more in competition with yourself than everyone around. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it, mm-hmm. in terms of academics yeah. or whatnot, That's you're competing true. against yourself. Yeah. I want to do better than I did last I'm year. Sure they're mm-hmm. not comparing themselves to Instagram models. <laughs> no, but I just think oh, of the, the, girls that, the girls in my, in my college. I mean, they're different sizes and shapes. Yeah. And a couple of them wear saris sometimes. And definitely, I'm sure the other ones don't. And I know why so, they don't. Saris what? Up there? Sure, no, no it's, I mean you, you show blows and then you show up. Yeah. A, uh... Oh no. Way. So, oh, yeah. I mean, for college, for college students to be wearing that for a culture day or a special event or whatever, I mean, mm-hmm. you probably should, and especially in a different country, you probably have to be self, pretty self assured to be wearing that because I know some of them definitely would not. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what I mean. I, I think we're in such a evil hole at home where it's just. <laughs> judging and comparing and judging and comparing where mm-hmm. you're trapped and you, you're not free mm-hmm. and it's so it feels so liberating that where nobody cares that guy's so pra- done, yeah. that guy's praising me because i'm fat huh <laughs> huh you <laughs> think it's good yeah is that a problem with society or the problem with the with the self society yeah, yeah society. but only if you accept it but that's society <laughs> <laughs> But if you, I mean, if you're the outlier, just says I don't give a shit, then you, then you're free, right? So the freedom lies within you. Mm, but you're a product right. of your society. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the out. Please, but more you can live off the grid, but it's one out of every hundred million people. So I think we all need to move to Ghana. Ghana. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the. Yeah, I think that's it. So I, I want to ask you, when he asked you about influences and, and mm. role models and stuff growing up, <gasps> music is huge. And sure. music's part of everyday life. And sure. when I was there, there was two kinds. There was Ghanaian music, and then there was Celine Dion. <laughs> okay. And Celine Dion played in every taxi. I mentioned on another one. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I wow. thought you you might say, yeah, in Tema, they play EOD in all the taxis or something. But um, Celine Dion, uh-huh. and I just, it was, it's always so funny to think of, yeah, you know, true. African, well, I think of African Canadians or African Americans uh-huh. listening to hip hop, rap, uh-huh. gangster stuff. Uh-huh. And here, all these guys are listening to My Life Will Go On. And, yeah. and, and I'm like, what this is so weird. And, and they, sing the, they sing the songs. <laughs> like, they're singing all the time. Yeah. Like, you're not too homie G. Or, <laughs> like, this is an L.A. Lakers yeah. stuff. Listening to Celine Dion. But the djembes and the music and the drumming. What kind of influence did that have on you? And did you... Has it molded you? Has it played a part in your life? Because... Man, I still have the have the cassettes and stuff, and mm-hmm. I download Ghanaian music or listen to Ghanaian music mm-hmm. on YouTube, and I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. What was your experience? Well, um, the the churches, the choirs, exactly. the it's, gospel it's, choirs. It's, you know, uh, there is something in music that you call um, in in Korean they say feel, that feeling. It doesn't come uh, from how much you. I don't think it comes from how much. Or how well you learned how to play the instrument. It comes naturally. I mean, so, you know, 
as Nate said, that instinct. that yeah, that instinct, that thing that is built upon, you know, while it's living there, it's it's a gift, actually. It's it's different. You know, it could for instance, I play the drums, right? The way I play a certain beat will be a it will be different when someone else plays the same beat. Mm. And it and that difference comes from that feel. That I don't know the expression, that feel. It and, and that feel that feeling is just built by experiencing those stuff. Okay. So it'd yeah. be like uh, maybe you can make a, an equivalent scenario with someone cooking mm-hmm. where grandma, grandma, how much salt did you put in? I don't mm-hmm. know. Mola, I just put a, yeah. I put a pinch. I put this much in. Mm-hmm. How, how long do you cook it for? I don't know. Until yeah, exactly. Until exactly. That used to make me yeah. crazy. But now yeah. I do the same thing. Yeah. And Tina goes, <laughs> how much? And I said, that just was... put it in. <laughs> I don't know. Just taste yeah. it. Yeah. yeah that's, that, I, I just re- that's soul. That's so, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to say that. Yeah. So so, but yeah, that, it, it affected me a lot. Did you play the djembe? Like they don't have a lot. When I was there, it wasn't a lot of traditional instruments, but mm-hmm. the music was whatever you could find. Exactly, a, they a soda everything. Can, a soda there. can with rocks uh-huh. was your shaker, mm-hmm. and the djembe was always the the prominent instrument, mm-hmm. and everything else was kind of just like mm-hmm. homemade. If there was mm-hmm. a bell or djembe is a drum, yeah, yeah, so, the, yeah, it's a drum. The, it's a bong. huge. Bong, bong, uh, okay, djembe is a small one, yeah. It, sounds it, nice, it was right? real, kind of real. I mean, there was no synthesizers mm-hmm. and no no amplifiers, and yeah, it was natural. Really, yeah, natural and really, you could connect to it. That's, exactly, it yes. goes back to the yeah. freedom thing. Yeah, like you could really connect to it. Exactly, and I don't think you get that in a lot of, especially these days with all that. the super yeah. synthesized yeah. stuff. It's yes, yes. I, I EDM's cool. Mm-hmm. I I think it, it's wild and it can get you really mm-hmm. going, but. Something uh, yes. about sitting around with a bunch of guys yes, smacking djembes exactly. and making their own tunes is just really cool. You said your mom was into music, right? Yeah, my mom majored in music. So, like, I actually learned a lot of instruments while I was living in Ghana. Like, first of all, you know, learning an instrument from a tutor was cheap. I'm pretty much sure it's far cheaper than learning it in Korea. Mm. So, my mom literally, like, found all the tutors for each instrument for me to learn. So I learned how to play the violin, the guitar, wow. the, 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 I, I also played the tenor saxophone when I was in high school. What the fuck? Exactly. Yeah. Ra- ra- this, random, are you kidding me? Random <laughs> instruments, right? So yeah. Listen, this guy told me that the, 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 the band used to play for the, oh, it was in the orphanage. Huh? They, no, they, 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 yeah, yeah, with the Ghanaian boys. Yeah, they, yeah. The Ghanaian boys played yes, at the church yes. and they would switch like, I'm doing bass today. I'm yeah, I'm doing drums. bass today. I'm doing guitar today. I'm doing yeah. drums today. Yeah, what? so it's something. I didn't know there was, growing up in Canada, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know there was room in your brain <laughs> yes. to, to hold that much information. <laughs> so yeah, oh, it, it was a great. Uh, I got to upgrade my ramp. Yeah, background for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's unreal. Mm-hmm. That's that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Can I give you a couple specific ones? Sure, sure. One, one, I'm, I'm sure and you mentioned a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. Growing up with like labor is cheap, as in most developing nations, mm-hmm. having drivers and cleaning people mm-hmm. and nannies and that mm-hmm. stuff around. Mm-hmm. How, how does that affect you? And how do you reflect on it now that who do we have in? Oh, Nicole Toru. And mm-hmm. he said, you know, my dad used to ride in the front seat of a taxi mm-hmm. because he was a lawyer. And I was an engineer, and I had to ride in the back seat. But, but just having mm-hmm. that privilege mm-hmm. of being kind of rich in a in a poor country, mm-hmm. and having the maids, the cleaning ladies, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Klausi's in the Philippines, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we that's why we want to retire in poor countries because mm-hmm. you can live a exactly. hundred times better than you can in your own country. Mm-hmm. And and I think the understanding is that if you get sick or times get hard, then you can always go home. Mm-hmm. 
But what was it like? Like, did you have drivers, cleaning ladies, or cleaning maids? Or I whatever? did. I did, and I think pretty much every like um, a Korean household right. has those um, people who would help you. And like, that's uh, a big stress for my wife. Mm -hmm. If I could hire a helping hand around the house, yeah, that did, and it's not because you know she does all of it. I, mm -hmm. I do a lot of housework, but. <laughs> Okay. But just if you had someone that did that as their job, mm -hmm. I mean, wow, what yeah. a what a relief. Exactly. So, yeah, it's. Do it's you think a, it's a good thing? It's a good thing. Uh, I would say it's a good thing because first of all, like you know, putting all those um because we don't really treat them bad or we actually. So what what happens is that um usually we uh a typical person who would work in our homes are from uh, rural areas, and there are people who would have done something worse if you know if they wouldn't have come to our home so what we do is that uh they stay with us for some time and when let's say for people who work in a house for more than five years my mom usually teaches them it, my mom teaches them something so either give them a skill yeah give them a skill like to That's learn how to drive or take them to my mom's missionary school mm. and do something so so that they can start a new career yeah starting from there i mean that's jackpot yeah even so, if you've never been to school even exactly. and you can you can be making beds and washing mm -hmm. floors and learn how to play the mm -hmm. piano mm -hmm. or to drive or whatever. Now you're a taxi yes. driver. So that's... that that one thing is something that I really liked about my parents. So they they had this um, dream of you know at least helping them to changing do say uh, changing people's lives. So sometimes when I'm at home, you know, a huge truck comes to our home and says, and I realize that it's my past driver, but now he ha he owns a truck now. He runs his own business. Beautiful. It's a Sweet. great. So they yeah. usually come and they thank us, and we also have you know dinner together with their families. That's good story. It's so I think it's it's a it's a good thing, if we say it in that before, way. Before yeah. before you finished and said your mom was teaching him skills, mm -hmm. in my head I was like, oh, you guys are just like the Coca Cola factory that pays that pays uh -huh. the workers 10 cents and says, well, it'd be better than if they were in the, uh -huh. if they were in the, in the rural area. Yeah. But I mean, dude, teaching them a, a but that's not every valuable. situation. Yeah. Exactly. That's not yeah. every situation. But my, where, when I was like where we, where I was living and we had a couple of small mm -hmm. boys or mm -hmm. whatever, and a couple of young girls, mm -hmm. I mean, they get taken in kind of like family mm -hmm. and it's kind of like, if you treat them bad, they're going to steal your shit. Sure. So you take them in and you take them like family and you mm -hmm. treat them like family mm -hmm. and they become part of your family. It's not, it's not like in many other countries I've seen where it's kind of more like you're my servant. Mm -hmm. I, I found when I was there that they were more well-respected and that they mm -hmm. were kind of treated more equally mm -hmm. than, than the top-bottom kind of mm -hmm. style. Mm -hmm. But so was that the first time you learned to make your bed was in high school then? Like we learned to make our beds because we don't have those people. We learned to do the dishes and do our laundry because we don't have those people at, exactly. a, young, at a younger age. Not everybody, but exactly. Lots. So that was, I think, that was one of the reasons why my dad sent me to those local schools and also okay. <laughs> the high school there. You know, when because when you go, when I went to the local school, also you do some work there. Mm. You need to sweep the floors, which, was which, a, it, which is good, especially if you've been in that lifestyle where exactly. you've never done that. So indirectly, he didn't want to spoil me. Right, he wanted me to also get know about that and also build up that skills within me you said as uh, or when you were young your image of your dad you know he's very strict yeah he's very strict i grew up dad was super strict too <laughs> okay. with uh with lots of stuff and uh -huh. my image of my dad when i was young mm -hmm. and when i moved here mm -hmm. and after having kids yeah is much different, different. how has your image of your dad changed from when you were young to yeah. now as you're so when i was a kid the 
my dad was the scariest person on earth. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I told you the story about the chop bar, right? Yeah. Uh, if he forced me to go and dance on the dance yeah. floor, and if if I said no, that you, night, you're next that on the night, bar. No, that night, that evening, <laughs> when we go home, it's gonna be a disaster. Like, yeah. He's gonna. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not gonna be. Uh, yes, but but then so like he he was very strict on me, right? But I think he was strict on me until I I I I, I went to high school. I mean, I think he yeah. stopped when I went to high school. Yeah. And we became someone else can do it now. Yes, and we became more of a friend okay. type. So actually, like I really have a hard time trying to have a conversation with my dad because of that memory, that strict thing in my head. But now it's totally different. Mm. I mean, back then I was like, why was my dad so strict to me? You know, I I hope I had a a, a friendlier dad. Wait until you have kids, yes. buddy. <laughs> then you understand. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so when I when I when I when I grew up and now that I talk with my dad or something i yeah. think i actually want to i always thank him because yeah. he gave me the best foundation exactly foundation yeah. training education that i i think i'm like a carbon have. copy of my dad no and i was like he was such an asshole when I was a <laughs> now i'm like i'm the same guy i say yeah. the same things i do the same thing exactly like, one of the biggest things i couldn't understand mm-hmm. when i was young is i think it was high school i had a 12 o'clock curfew mm-hmm. there's nothing good happens after 12 i'm like bro my friends they don't have curfews that's bullshit and now you look and you're like ah i see yeah. what was going on after 12 probably not exactly. the best day. but there's probably a limit the best uh-huh. my wife had a 12 o'clock curfew when she was 30 yeah and i was trying to have a date <laughs> <laughs> so there's a limit to the curfew yeah. that's gonna come off at some point yeah so yeah he he's the best actually he's the best if i say uh-huh. warning shots what do you think of <laughs> warning shots yeah does anything come to your mind warning shots and it might be the range. okay well okay. but uh, shooting the guns uh-huh. like did you ever see that did you ever experience that there because some days oh, when I was living oh. you just hear pa 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 and I was like oh. holy shit what's oh, going on like okay. that was right outside and they go okay madingo warning shots <laughs> okay. warning for what okay the guys are fighting okay, okay. no we don't need warning shots because okay. <laughs> guys are fighting um, the police would say hey cut it out or someone's going to get hurt okay. and they would fire warning shots and I was like okay. holy shit that's a little oh. bit too serious for a yeah. public fight okay like, so um, <laughs> I think it's quite different from the warning shot that you told me but um, we have this thing that we do every time so in every household we have a gun in my house we had about two shotguns <laughs> mm-hmm. and one's in the air right my dad goes to the garden and just shoots his shotgun like 10 shots and I, like he does that to let the neighbors know that he has a gun. So that, no, wait, not in a not in a bad sense because you know there are. Uh, He's just deadpan staring yeah. him in the window. I thought you were gonna say just to make sure it works because you don't want to take it out the day you no. need it. It goes. There are there are actually I would say ninety percent are the beautiful sides of Ghana, yeah. but there are 10% everywhere in the everywhere in the world, right? Sure. So there are some like armed robberies. You know thieves around so actually when you do that it scares the thieves or let at least uh let them know that this house is armed Protected, yeah. yeah because actually like um you hear every, that only one, only one day a year there was a actually my my house in ghana got robbed twice yeah. right and it's very typical for any uh foreigners household in ghana sure. and we it doesn't matter whether you have a security man or we have a we had a security man, but when the on robbers came, sleeping. he was the first man to run away. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so like they're like they're like uh, five armed robbers with guns. I mean, what would he do, right? Yeah. So he he run away and 
Fortunately, I think one of the my neighbors saw the armed robbers coming into my house and they rang the alarm bell, so they they robbed the house quite quickly. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, because there are those things happening, like so maybe the warning shots got to be like weekly. No, like <laughs> <laughs> once a year doesn't scare them. Once off a year, too much. yeah. Um, what do they take? Like TVs and they literally like take everything. Yeah, TVs, money. Sure. Because uh, back in the days, you know, we didn't have that um, card system, right? Everything you keep them in cash, right? And you have this. Um, uh, I don't know what's safe. Safe. Yes, huge safe, safe, and they they carry it all. I mean, yeah, there is a nice story. So when because when, the bank was dodgier than keeping it in your house, <laughs> exactly. Your money, <laughs> money go missing at the bank before it would. So the first time our house got robbed, um, that was the time that they rang the alarm as soon as they came. They, mm. they came in. So what do you mean rang the alarm? Like uh, there is a siren. Ding. In your neighborhood? Yeah, every neighborhood has one. So it's like, uh-huh. when in, in case of emergency, they they ring, and it's really really loud. So they were. My mom told me that they were. I think I was in high school back then, so I wasn't in the house. But my mom told me that they were literally like shaking after they he- uh, they heard the siren because mm. it's really loud. So like they were in a rush. So they took my they took my mom's bag, not knowing it was my mom's church bag. And you know <laughs> they, my mom has like two or three Bibles in it, and it's heavy and thick, right? So they. Th- <laughs> Jackpot! <laughs> so they they took it and they left. So they they didn't take much because they had no time. The week after, yeah. three new guys come yeah. to church, <laughs> 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 trying to find God yeah. or sell Bibles. <laughs> and there there are actually so many episodes about that. You know, some Koreans actually tried to fight with the armed robbers. Like, oh, so not a good idea. there was a <laughs> there was a house that got robbed so much. That the, <laughs> they, <laughs> they literally like covered the house with steel, and they made a small hole. So anytime the armed robbers come, they they take their guns out yeah. through the hole and they like home alone. They have a, they have a, <laughs> shoot them in the nuts yeah. The they used to fight. Yeah. A lot. I mean, well, the alarm system in my neighborhood was the warning shots. Okay, when yeah. the other guys came, it was bah, yeah. bah, 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 get out of here. Yeah. So. Oh, that's funny, man. But that's the ten percent bad part. But yeah, it's ninety. Like you said, that, that's yeah. everywhere, and that's usually what everyone wants to hear is the the ten percent bad, bad yeah. part. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now that you're uh, now that you're living here, uh-huh. you're uh, you're in a ninety two. You're twenty eight. Yeah, yeah I'm always confused. But uh, since I'm in Korea, I'm a Korean age of thirty now. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. I'm like twenty eight. Yeah. Twenty eight. You haven't had a birthday so this great. year. Mm-hmm. What's your? How do you define success at this stage in your life? I I mean you're not mm-hmm. going to the military. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean your yeah. your answer will be influenced by your dad by being raised sure. in Ghana. Sure. It'll be flavored by sure. the media in Korea sure. and in your surroundings here. So sure. how do you define success? I would define success, uh, you know, and I also there is a religious part that I would like to include. So. Um, I, I, I'm really like, you know, what my parents did in Ghana, you know, to help people change people's lives. So it's, it's my ultimate goal to also do the same, like, um, help others. Mm. I'm not helping them because I'm better than them or, yeah, it's because I just have to, you know, because I think, I think that's the aim of life. Right. And yeah, my success could be. Of course, there are other successes that I could think as a success, such as you know, becoming getting a good job, getting a well-paid job, mm. uh, having 
a family, mm. having living in a good environment, giving my kids good uh, good education. But then besides that, I think my ultimate goal is to live as a person, you know, who would help people, mm. you know, who would help people. And, you know, yeah, because I believe that, you know, after I live on earth, right, and when I'm going back to wherever I'm going, you know, at least I should be proud of myself. Mm. I shouldn't be like, oh, I live so... So yeah, that's my ultimate goal. So greedily, yeah, mm-hmm. cool, man. So how do you? How does doing your master's, PhD, combined program in mm-hmm. what management, business management? Yeah. How will that lead you to this success? To this success, actually, it's a it's a totally different thing. Because um, to help people, mm-hmm. you probably don't need a PhD. Sure. You can help a lot of people in some ways. Sure. But you could easily go home and follow your dad's footsteps. Sure. Have some cash and, sure, and, and help go out. a long way and help sure. a long way with that. So how sure. does the PhD True. master's stuff fit into this? Mm-hmm. So, um, well, the, um, I was always planning to do, you know, further studies, you know, do my PhD. And the reason for that was that I wanted to have an expertise in something. You know, before you have an ultimate goal or you have a hobby or anything else, you need to be a, you need to be an expert in something, right? So and in, in order, Jack Basu. <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted to become an expert in some field and major in that, and maybe get a professional job in that area, and then do my other stuff, okay. which could be my ultimate goal or my real part of the real uh, goal of my life. Very structured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think, the exactly. same... Uh... And actually, I'm majoring in business because I, well, I thought that, you know, when I major in business, I will be more uh, knowledgeable when I, when I, because my, uh, one of my ultimate goals is also to run a business, right? So maybe I thought that if I study business or I do PhD or I do a master's in PhD, uh, in management, I'll have more knowledge to make my business a success, but actually, I realized that it's a totally it's a totally different thing. <laughs> you know, the academia part of business or management is totally different from the actual entrepreneurship. But it's good. Mm-hmm. What's your biggest dream? My biggest dream. Mm. I want to make a choir of my own. I want to make a choir of my own. Yeah. Do you mean like record yourself fifty different times? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I want to make a choir uh, for uh, of you know talented people all around the world mm. those who are really talented but do not have the opportunity to to show off their talents mm. so i want to make a group of like 50 to 100 people mm. and move around the world you know doing concerts performing mm. funny, well, funny uh, let me that. try my audition here <laughs> and i uh, <laughs> uh, okay. my kids my kids i need some water hold on. <laughs> my kids are fascinated by the golden buzzards on mm. america's got talent <laughs> And there's the one girl that sings this. This girl's on fire. Mm-hmm. Do you guys know that one? This girl's on fire. Mm-hmm. She's seven years old mm-hmm. and she sings like a diva. Mm-hmm. And I showed them that to me, not to to think that maybe they, you know, they would want to sing more or maybe to inspire them a little bit. And mm-hmm. look, she's only a few years older than you guys. If you want to sing lots or you put your mind to it, you could do like this. Mm-hmm. And now they they'll say sometimes, "Hey, can we watch some Golden Buzzards?" <laughs> And yesterday, there was a lady on from, I mean, I just put on YouTube, whatever, find Is that, it. Is that mm-hmm. the group name, Golden Buzzard? No, when you when they're singing, and then everyone votes yes or no or something, X or O, but someone could just say, and hit the Golden Buzzard, and yeah. goes, all the confetti comes down, and they go straight yeah. to the live shows instead mm-hmm. of going through the whole process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's like the best ones. every For one season, I, I, I don't know for sure, but for mm-hmm. one season, the four judges get like Are one. Are you saying buzzer or buzzards? Buzzard. Buzzard. 
Like the bang, like yeah. the bird. What's a, What's a buzzer? Bam. It's a buzzer. buzzer. Golden buzzer. Oh, yeah, I think you're saying buzzer, like the no, bird that comes no, in. Oh, I got buzzer, you. Buzzer. And I yeah. thought that was a group yeah. name. I got it. Oh, okay. Golden buzzer. So they can hit. Yeah. Yeah, I got they it. Can okay. Hit yeah. it. Fuck, it and that means sense. they get to jump straight to mm-hmm. two rounds or something later. Mm-hmm. And the lady was on from California, mm-hmm. and she said she wanted to help the homeless people. Mm-hmm. And she's a musician and or a music teacher. Mm-hmm. And she just was flabbergasted how many. California has a huge homeless population. Yeah, true. And she had like a hundred, maybe fifty or a hundred homeless people, mm-hmm. and she said, "These guys all have amazing talents." Exactly. And some of them had been busking on the side of the roads mm-hmm. for ten years, twenty years, mm-hmm. and there were people from like eighteen years old to probably seventy years old. Mm-hmm. And she put this choir together, mm-hmm. and it was fantastic. Exactly. And I mean, people who've been on the streets for twenty-five years, mm-hmm. lawyers who lost their job, been on the mm-hmm. streets for two years, mm-hmm. but it was just a really amazing group of random people mm-hmm. come together and it was really really touching or emotional or mm-hmm. i mean it's really anyways they were one of the golden mm-hmm. buzzer exactly. groups i mean yeah I thought, just like that i would have also thought about making a maybe musical group but i the reason why i thought about a choir and also made up of 50 to 100 students people is that you know a choir singing with the voice is totally different from playing music right singing from the voice has emotions and it has soul, right? And I, the, re- the one of the reasons why I came up with this goal was because, you know, when I was in high school, there's this uh, event called the singing competition. So, like, every group makes up a choir of 50 to 100 students and they sing and we compete with the four teams, right? And then, again, it's a very um, interesting uh, event. So, through that, I realized that, wow, this is something amazing. And mm. actually... Yes, that's what I really want. It's to powerful. Yeah, it's powerful. Hearing exactly. the good choirs is powerful, man. It's, it's exactly. It's different. I know Dad goes and watches when he's down in Florida in the winter times. He goes mm-hmm. and watches the gospel choirs that mm-hmm. do tours, and he just loves them. I mean, exactly. they're so so powerful. It's different. The yeah. the the emotions that and the message that you could send mm. through that. It's that it's totally different. We had when I worked at Tuna, they had three. One guy was a tenor. I don't know what the other ones were, but. Mm-hmm. The, the three guys sang a few songs at one of the assemblies and it was just three dudes and you mm-hmm. sat back like, whoa, mm-hmm. it was powerful. Mm-hmm. It was really, uh, exactly. it was really touching, man. Exactly. Well, reflecting on all you've lived through now, mm-hmm. what advice on education would you give Korea or Koreans? You you got brought up in, in public school in Tema, mm-hmm. which nobody would send their kid to. Mm-hmm. Typically, no Korean would volunteer to send their kid to public school in Tema. Mm-hmm. Now you're doing a PhD at UNIST. Mm-hmm. which lots of people would hope their kids could do, mm-hmm. probably. But looking back on, on your childhood, growing up through elementary mm-hmm. school and playing soccer and hide-and-seek after school mm-hmm. and everything, mm-hmm. what advice would you give to Korea? Mm-hmm. Or, or or what advice would you give ba- regarding education to Koreans? You know, it's not realistic to say that, hey, send all your kids to, to, uh, to, to abroad, right? So I think it, it's... But actually, I think it's changing, you know. You know, uh, the Korean education system is still, okay, well, it's still crazy out here. But it's changing, you know, because I know that back in the, about just 10 years ago, you know, if you ask a normal uh, elementary kid, what's your dream? He would say, oh, he wants to become an engineer. He wants to become the president. He wants to become a lawyer or something. Mm. But now if you ask them, they it's like it's changing. They want to become a YouTuber. Mm. Like they, 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 they've realized that they, 
they need to live according to their interests and their talents, right? Not a fixed path that they should take. Because if you look at the Korean uh, system, it's 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 really a path. You know, you have to go to good high school, good college, get a fixed job, you know, marry at this age, you know. So, yeah, I, what, what I would like to say is that, you know, I just hope that there will be more freedom for the kids. I mean, it's really sad to see kids because uh, the church that I go to, I used to, um, I used to be one of the teachers for the Sunday school. So like kids, and then you ask them, so what do you do after school? Oh, that's when it becomes more hectic. They go to, they have to go to piano classes. Mm. They have to go to English, Hagwon, mm. math, Hagwon, all sort of things. And, uh, yes. And they end up going home around like 10 to 11 PM. I'm like, wow. So where's your freedom? Well, I like so, the, Oh, summer vacation's coming up. Oh, yes, exactly. Because I got more hog ones exactly. than regular <laughs> exactly. class. Our summer vacations were like... <laughs> That's insane. Freedom, like... Dude, the, the two weeks before you, you're mentally checked out of school. It's just it's a countdown to exactly. your... We played your for, physically for two months, all day, every day. And you mm-hmm. forgot everything. Just play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Do nothing, right? Uh, do nothing but do everything. Yes, like, climbing exactly. the tree yes, was yes. like the Olympics. Exactly. For us, and making the bow and arrows mm-hmm. and... Learning to play cricket mm-hmm. with empty Folgers coffee cans and like yeah, yeah with just anything you could mm-hmm. do anything and everything you didn't need it you didn't need anyone to tell you, you or made, whatever you made your own adventures just go outside mm-hmm. and figure it out and exactly. break an arm break a leg mm-hmm. whatever happened mm-hmm. but you had fun doing it so I just hope they have more freedom and when you said the YouTube thing I did I don't know if that's the answer or that uh-huh. says that they're they're finding their own ways. I think that's the next level of toxicity that everyone just goes straight to the YouTube yes. gamer mode. Like, there's something in between that is like, I want to be a cook, I want to be a taxi driver, I want to fix cars, I want to do something with my hands. But well, then it should be what the YouTube's about. Because if you're doing it, if you're just trying to manipulate an algorithm mm-hmm. by producing content you think others want, then that'd mm-hmm. be that'd be bad. But if you're killing it as like a <laughs> But when you say that, like now it's all like, I'm going to be an Instagrammer, pro gamer, mm-hmm. YouTuber. Mm-hmm. But that's just because that's trendy and everyone thinks that they mm-hmm. can do that. But 90% of them are wasting their time. They're not going to get anywhere. True. And I think they're sacrificing their education and their free time in their life walking mm-hmm. around with their camera like this when <laughs> there's no chance of success. I mean, it's sure. still only 1% of these guys are actually making a living mm-hmm. by doing this. But... Mm-hmm. It seems like the Nate's whole mad. world... He's been taking pictures of his ass for the past <laughs> six months. They're not working. <laughs> it seems like the whole world is is like, this is the goal now, is to be mm-hmm. the YouTuber. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I just don't think that's realistic. Yes. Yes. No, but it makes sense, right? If mm-hmm. a kid gets home at 10, mm-hmm. he probably watches YouTube till he sleeps. That's what it is. Uh, just plug so, in YouTube. Uh, <laughs> so I just hope that they have more freedom to find out what they really want to do or what they really time And that at. comes from taking a step back and not... Having your brain exactly, you know, in, input yeah. eighteen hours, uh, yeah. eighteen hours a day. Man, I just, oh, I can't remember who I was listening to. One of the some, some guy on YouTube, uh, he's a, <laughs> <laughs> he's a no, he's a psychologist, and he was talking about how we the the best time that we're that we're learning, and he was talking about how caffeine can help you remember, mm-hmm. or even tobacco can mm-hmm. can help that. But he said the best when you're doing your deepest learning is when you're sleeping, mm-hmm. when you're, you know, when you're taking a step back. Is this Rogan the sleep exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. No, the, he the old one, that is... he's a big jack dude with a beard. He's on <laughs> a bunch of, he's on a But how it connects the dots when you're sleeping, like, mm-hmm. if you go to bed tonight, you might not remember something, like, 
the piano or violin or a uh-huh. math equation, but you wake up tomorrow and just boom, exactly. you got it. Exactly, it happens. Because it connected uh-huh. while you were resting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This guy said, I'm, I'm, I love taking a nap, man. <laughs> once, twice a day. <laughs> so once, twice a day, I got to lay down, just turn everything off. And he was... He was saying the the most successful people. I don't want to toot my own horn here, but he said <laughs> the most successful people were able to to toggle back and forth between sleep, deep, re, uh, relaxed state, and and alertness. So, anyways, I'm killing it. Does that count if you <laughs> Does that count if you take a nap at the red light? Uh, <laughs> I've done those. <laughs> I've done those. Uh, just looking forward to the future. You, wait, you graduate two mm-hmm. years, 2023, probably around then. Do you foresee staying in Korea or going abroad or back to Ghana? You gonna give Jesh a run for his money in twenty forty for Ghanaian president? <laughs> well, possible. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I I I I don't think I have a very uh, clear uh, path now because it I think it, it depends on what the results will be. You know how many papers I've published by the time I graduate, and also I'm I'm open to any. Place actually, if I if I if I get a good job or some good stuff to do at in Korea or outside Korea, I don't mind moving there. Yeah. And um, well, I well I have some ways I could become you know I could uh, get a job related to the studies that I'm doing, so I be, I can become a researcher or faculty at a research institute or university or an organization, or I could also put everything aside and start a business. Mm. Right, so I think I'm um, I'm open, so I can just I I'm actually like really enthusiastic for my graduation to come, so that I could decide which path to take. Absolutely, yeah. but being open minded and knowing what else is out there, mm-hmm. the Korean business environment and structure is mm-hmm. very kind of strict and hierarchical mm-hmm. compared to probably what you've seen in Ghana or the states sure, or whatever. Sure. Does that scare you at all? Does that think lead you that you might not be staying here or? Uh no, it doesn't scare me because actually um I don't mind working at a very strict you know Korean traditional organization, but yes, it depends. It depends. I can I can work there, but then I'm open. To, the The reason why I said I'm open is I don't mind going to any. But of course, I don't want to. I think I'll I'll more of start a business on my own. And actually, um, I'm not planning a business which would you know focus only in Korea. I'm thinking of a global business. So mm-hmm. I think. I can, I can, I can put that. You want a business that helps people everywhere? Everywhere. Like we help people everywhere. <laughs> Wait, I think we're yeah. onto something here. Yes. The uh, uh-huh. I, I just say because I, I could do it too, <laughs> but it's not what I want to do. Exactly. And I think I just wonder if you're you seem open-minded enough and more uh-huh. focused on happiness and mm-hmm. enjoying life and doing life mm-hmm. than to live the Korean boom, 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 mm-hmm, boom mm-hmm. structured company life mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. you know. You're the the servant for the first five years, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what your mm-hmm. education is. You come in at the lowest mm-hmm. rung and climb the ladder. Mm-hmm. But I, I could endure it. I could do it. It's not a big. I could do it. Yeah. But I wouldn't like my life. I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't enjoy mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So I would choose not. I mean that that would deter you deter me from wanting to mm-hmm. join the Korean big company mm-hmm. kind of environment. Sure. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons why I also you know think about becoming a researcher is that you have that freedom. You, you can you can do research in the field that you're interested in, and also if you're uh, you can take Tuesdays off to come record podcasts. <laughs> true, <laughs> true. And then you know the trend now is that you know faculties are also 
really engaged in this whole entrepreneurship stuff. So when they have a good idea, they can start a business on their own. Yeah. And actually, the country supports a lot like, in terms of those kind of entrepreneurial yeah. activities. So I think it's a great opportunity for yeah. me as well. Yeah. In that way, the funding here and the government support is fantastic. I mean, exactly. it's huge. Very huge. Especially even in Ulsan, they actually spend a lot of, like, they plan a lot of budgets for this entrepreneurial sure. activities. Yeah. And they have to. There's no yeah. resources here. True. There's no natural resource. They don't have an option. So I can do this and do that at the same time. Like, Fantastic. Yeah. Not a one-trick pony. <laughs> Two-trick pony Tony. Dude. We're gonna uh, we're gonna cut it here, but okay. any anything else you guys want to? You got any closing remarks for us? Uh, well, I think. Uh, I was happy to, 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 to be invited here today because, you know, sometimes you you know it, but you really don't get the chance to arrange them, right? But before coming, I tried to think about how I've lived so far, to arrange things and how to, you know, share those experiences to people. So I think it, it gave it, it helped me organize mm. my thoughts and this is actually yeah. one one of our goals. It's uh, this uh -huh. is actually a therapy session. You uh -huh. owe us fifty bucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. What what about for anyone thinking of visiting Africa or West Africa or Ghana? I would highly highly recommend anyone who would like to go to any countries in Africa. Actually, you know because a lot of people are you know refrained from visiting countries in Africa because they're afraid, right? But then. It's it's a really great country out there. Cultural richness. I, I second that. Mm -hmm. No doubt. All right, dude. We're going to cut it off. Thank All you right. very much. And let's talk again soon. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.
Please don't forget to check out our sponsor, Dr. English. Sign up for your next one-on-one English class today. No more hogwans. No more being scared of saying hi to foreigners. No more saying, I'm fine, thank you, and you. Dr. English, the cure for the common language.